Hey guys, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. This is episode 85, and I am Ryan. For those of you that don't know who I am, I am the new member on the Modern Day Sniper team. Super stoked to be here, and this is going to be an amazing podcast. It's a little bit longer, about an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, what do we talk about here? Well, for those of you that have been paying attention uh, with the addition of me coming onto the team, uh, I'm kind of bringing scoped carbine to the curriculum, and we are now going to be offering a scoped carbine course, and our first one's going to be in September. So in this episode, Kaylin and I really go into, and a little bit of Phil, kind of go into what we define as scoped carbine. For those of you on social media, you probably know that scoped carbine is a very hot topic, but it's also a topic that leaves a lot of interpretation based on the definition. And so we kind of just get into what we think scoped carbine is and how our views are to exploit such a weapon system. And I think it's a really good one. Uh, by no means of the definition did we invent the wheel on this. We are not the first guys teaching this. We're not going to be the last guys teaching it. But our goal here is just to be another trusted source of information that you can come to to try and take another course offering. And if you're new to the Modern Day Sniper podcast, we do have a network called the Modern Day Rifleman. It is free to join, and it's full of great people that are just there to bring everyone up. Good peer group. Uh, I think you guys would really enjoy it. Thanks for listening. What's up? Yo. Ryan, how is Wyoming? Talk to me about Wyoming. Uh, it's small, but it's well conveniently, everything is conveniently placed. So I'm going to save a hell of a ton of money on gas. Fantastic. Yeah. You, you don't have to go very far in Cody to get things. <laughs> no, I've noticed that. Uh, it's, it's a good thing. No, it's weird. Um, when you go from all, when you go from such a drastic shift in environment, right? It's like it, it takes some getting used to, and um, takes some time to kind of get yourself settled and and you know adapt to that lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not bad. I uh, just went to the range this morning to pick up my badge for a membership that I got, and she was saying how range is twenty four seven for members. So if I had night vision and all that stuff, I could be running pistol and carbine stuff under nods um, or doing long range shooting if I had a clip on. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And they don't require suppressors past a certain time or anything like that. So if I just wanted to go train with my Glock or whatever, I can go do that in the middle of the night. Uh, the only downside is I don't have night vision. <laughs> so, but at least the options there, well, not I mean, many ranges do that. It's the land of the free, man. You know, where, where you're at is like guns and outdoor activities and all of those things are just normal occurrences, right? right. And yeah. so it's not out of the ordinary. It's actually out of the ordinary if you don't. <laughs> People are just like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's cool. It's a, it's a great place. And I mean, man, unfortunately, like where I'm at in Washington, we've got some pretty savage gnarly legislation coming down the pipe and it gets they try to pass it every single year and it's like every single year it gets closer and closer and um you know they're just chipping away and chipping away and and there's major major implications of this economically with yep. with regard to some of these major companies here in Washington I mean look at Arrow 
Arrow is, you yeah, know, yeah. they're right at the, the, at the epicenter of it. So, um, it, it's, uh, it's more and more palatable to, to depart. You know what I mean? Right. You know, we would be, unfortunately right now, just the way that the market is and the way that the housing market is forecasted. It's just not a, it's not a good time right now. Um, especially like if you're, if you're moving real estate and things like that. So, um, it's definitely not out of the question, man. Yeah. You know, we're, we're looking at it. I mean, it's unfortunate too, because like, if I could just take what we have here and like pick it up and move it to, to, yeah. to Wyoming, I would freaking do it in a heartbeat. But you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tough deal. I mean, it's kind but, of the, uh, you guys, it's a downside, man. It's like, you're trying to move somewhere and nowadays you just got to pay more attention instead of like oh it's a nice looking area now you got to look at like well what's the gun laws like what's this doing is it going to restrict my job because i shoot for a living like how is this going to affect it i mean look at magpul as prime example back when i forgot what year it was but in colorado uh introduced their 15 round mag limit you had a uh, magpul uh pull out colorado yeah but I mean, is there more to I'm that? Gonna go ahead. There's way more to okay. that. That's not the way that went down. Okay. Um, the the vast majority of the company still maintained a presence in Colorado simply because all the employees there, the the epicenter of Magpul, which is the engineering department, um, and the testing department, they were like, no, I'm 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 good. I'm not moving. Like I have an established home here. Oh, and cool then. Yeah, so it was it was one of those things where the the corporate office moved to Austin, and then the shipping department and uh, the manufacturing department moved just up the road north into Cheyenne. So um, it was kind of like a little bit of smoke and mirrors, a lot of political, you know, a lot of political positioning and and so forth. But even still, the vast majority of the company resides in in Colorado. Gotcha. Yeah, that's news to me. Yeah. Then that's not what I what I heard. Yeah, it was an unfortunate thing, man, because that was a tough, that was tough because it was one of those situations where the leadership was like, no, you need to tell people this. And and it was like, I don't feel comfortable lying to a bunch of people about this. This is yeah. not right. It's not the right thing to do. I understand what you guys are trying to do from, from that standpoint. And that was a, that was an interesting time. That was a very interesting time. So to watch that all, you know, fall into place like Tetris blocks, you know, Nope. Man, I think you're going to have a great time out there. Uh, you know, I, I think that um, as we go forward, you know, Cassandra and I were talking about it and it's like, hey, we need to start, we need to start making like quarterly visits and saying, okay, like every quarter we're going to, we're all going to circle up and it's not going to be at a training class. It's not going to be at a, it's not going to be at, at some event where we're distracted with other activities. We actually have to like get together every quarter for a week or so and and just powwow and get things done and and move things forward and have those quarterly you know visits whether it's us coming to you guys or you guys coming to us or whatever the case is because just like you know everything gets done faster and gets done more efficiently when we're co-located together yeah for sure that'd be a good idea yeah, I dig the setup, man. I, I totally dig the setup. What do you got? A workbench set up there, Phil? You got two desks or something? What you got? Talk to me. So here we have uh, like a rolling desk uh, that is mobile that can go to the editing station um, and mainly uh, to like be in the studio because I have 
essentially like a workhorse computer that does all my, I can do all my edits and then like a laptop with a like kind of vertical screen here for like quick vertical edits for like uh, posts. But not only that, now have a computer that is close to the kind of studio area for inspiration uh, when we start doing videos and whatnot. Um, and then what I did, which is took one of the toolboxes down here that has a bunch of shooting gear and uh, put it up so Ryan can sit down. And yeah, so, still trying to iron out how like this podcast, especially with multiple people, is yeah. when, this is my first time setting it up with an, uh, a second person um, while obviously talking to you. So I think as we continue to do this, we'll refine it, but I think it's good for now. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, you know, the, the, the most important thing that I've always gotten feedback from on podcasts is just making sure that the audio is, is nice and crisp and clear and, um, high quality for people to listen to. But now, I mean, with the advent of video podcasts coming out, it's like, all right, well, we got to continue to step up the game and we're totally capable of doing that. And, and we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one thing that we've got coming on this year and, and I'm not sure we never actually got around to, to finishing up Ryan's like, who is Ryan podcast? <laughs> uh, uh, good times. But yeah, let's bring it. <laughs> um, but I think I won't cuss as much this time. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think that we should still save that for a, a different time. Um, sure. But specifically, I think what, a good thing to talk about is what I shouldn't say why we hired Ryan, but like what Ryan is going to be able to bring to the team at modern day sniper, uh, which is what we've got going on this month in the month of April before you and I push out for our, uh, UK classes. Phil and, and Kayla needed a water boy and they decided what better to bring me on. Water boy. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's, I would say it's water boy at all. Um, it's just, it's, it's growth and expansion in the team. You know, that's, that's what's, that's a necessary thing. You know, we're, we're, we're growing, we're expanding and this is, you know, the intention of, of what we started off to, to do at modern day sniper. And it's just, it's starting to fall into place. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about some scope carbine. Um, what what is scope carbine what is not scope carbine and let's say uh i guess my question to ryan is like how do you envision kind of you know knowing what modern day sniper because you've been you know you've been an og uh plank holder for us meaning like you've you've done all of our in-person classes or online classes uh master classes uh you've been to a few of our events now not only as a student, but also to uh, instruct. So how do you see scope carbine falling in line with our vision with regard to, you know, uh, precision, long range, right? Because you talk about this a lot is like, you know, you could pull your magazine out and th throw it blindfold and hit any pistol carbine instructor. instructor. Yeah. And one thing, the last thing we want to do is like add to that because I think again, our uh, niche is long range. Right. And specifically precision, but definitely we have not, I know I haven't uh, been in the gas gun world at all. Uh, so I'm sure. super excited about 
this kind of skill set that you're bringing to the uh, to the team into our into our uh, community? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, where to start with that? So, um, I think first we have to identify before I can say what we because. When I say we, it's the three of us. We collectively pretty much agree on what we define as scoped carving, but scoped carving is probably that that mystery of definition, if you will, amongst people and how they choose to define such uh, such a platform, if you will. Now, you'll have guys that tailor it more towards a general purpose rifle. You'll have guys that tailor it more towards an SPR role, a DMR role. Um, it's, it's really up to the imagination, but I think for the most part, collectively, people agree it's usually, it can vary, but it's usually going to be some type of AR platform with probably a 14.5 barrel, 16-inch barrel, somewhere in there, um, plus or minus a couple inches, depending on how they choose to tailor it. And it has a low-power variable optic or whatever the new kids are calling the MPVOs, which I refuse to make that a trend. It's just a rifle scope is how I'm going to call it. Um, And typically an offset red dot, but essentially a rifle platform that bridges the gap between your traditional carbine sense, i.e. trap music playing in the background, doing cool guy CQB, and uh, long-range shooting. And basically, how can we combine these two and give give ourselves extended capability, but with a rifle system that allows me more flexibility than a, tr- a dedicated precision rifle in closer engagements? Uh, and that's kind of what I think most people would consider as a safe bet of calling scoped carbine uh, as far as like, hey, we're just going to bridge this gap. Also, like in the patrolling sense, you can blend more in or you'd blend more with the regular troops on the ground, if you will, instead of roaming around with, you know, like an M40A5 or A6 or a bolt action rifle. And they're like, all right, that dude's definitely a sniper. Uh, so it's kind of more that designated marksman weapon, if you will. Um, again, guys, this is like all subjective. This isn't like by doctrine, definition, po- point or anything. That's the whole reason scoped carbine is such a touchy topic for people. And I think it really blew up before 2020, but really like through social media, I'd say you noticed it more and it became more of the topic in 2020 when COVID happened and politics and civil unrest and everyone's like, we're going to have to live in the mountains and grow carrots and stuff like that, which all good things that we should learn. But it's in that sense where people are like, Hey, maybe I should start learning how to be a rifleman more and be able to deliver precision shots. My red dot 10, three Mark 18 ain't going to make the cut. Now, can we do this? Like, yeah, we can absolutely do this. Like, all of us here have shot hundreds of yards with short-barreled rifles and stuff like that. Like, it's nothing impressive, but it's identifying the right tool for the job. Go on, Kalen. You were saying something? 
Yeah, it's, I think, so even going back further, right? Like going back to the advent of the the Mark 12, like when did the Mark 12 actually 100%. come to fruition, right? So, and what was the reason for the Mark 12 coming to fruition? Well, the reason was, is you have reconnaissance assets that are patrolling deep, deep, deep into enemy held territory and they wanted ammunition commonality and they wanted the ability to have the blend of a fighting rifle that they'd still be able to conduct, you know, normal infantry aspect fighting operations of like, Hey, I need, I need precision fires that go deeper than 300 meters. But at the same time, I don't want to have to carry a 7.62 millimeter platform. And I want to also have commonality between my ammunition source and my team. So that was where the Mark 12 came to fruition. And that was bait. That was Naval special warfare. That was like, Hey, we need something that, that bridges like the gap that you're talking about. And it gave them the ability to have a fighting rifle with precision capability that if they needed to uh, extend their standoff, right? Because that's as a, as a fighting, as a fighting unit, your standoff, especially in small units, uh, reconnaissance assets, your safety comes from concealment. But when your concealment is compromised and now I'm in, I'm in a fight, I need to make sure that I can maintain as much standoff as possible with that opposing force. So that way I can bring to bear all of my sporting assets, whether that be air, artillery, whatever it is. So that way you can break contact or whether, you know, to give yourself more time for a QNF or a QRF force or something to that effect. And it really makes a difference, you know, and, and from my experience in, in an urban environment, that would be the go-to weapon. Like we learned so many lessons from that experience. And recently I just listened to, um, I just listened to another episode of the Sean Ryan podcast and I listened to Cody Alford's interview. And, um, I didn't know that Cody had done an interview with them. And the crazy thing for me was that, uh, I didn't know this about Cody, but he was actually in second battalion first Marines. And I'm pretty sure I occupied a tent with that guy. Um, the day that my, um, my leadership, we sent all of our team leaders over to Second uh, Battalion First Marines uh, compound over at Camp Barria, and we conducted just a a one day. That was all we could figure out to get done. It was a one day kind of leaders debrief, and those guys had just operated or just participated in uh, a huge, huge, savage, brutal, bloody fight in the northern parts of Fallujah, which I ended up fighting in you know, I think like, what was that? I, I came into country in June and we, we attacked the city in November. Right. So, and then we met up with those guys in August, July or August, right before they left and rotated out. And so all of the information that we were getting from these guys with regard to that urban fight was, Hey, we need to be able to move very, very quickly we need to be able to adapt to rapidly changing environments and scenarios and be able to um, utilize precision fires. And those guys were just like, hey, these are the things that were working for us and these are the things that were not working for us. And we had only had one, we had one gas gun at that point in time. We had a we had an, we had the new SR25. We got one kit. 
and it came with the PBS 27 and all the accoutrements that was available at that time. And that was like, that was the creme de la creme for the choice of weapon, because even though it was a seven, six, two platform, we could still fight and, and clear rooms with it because that was our jobs. Like we had to do that ourselves, uh, in order to get to shooting positions and in order to support the, the advancing infantry. So like having, like, if I look back and I go, man, what was, what would my ideal platform be based upon all of those parameters? Now we're like, okay, now we can build the dream rifle. Um, that would give me that capability of having the standoff, the precision capability, as well as, you know, contact distance fighting rifle in a, in a, in a CQB environment. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's kind of like the webinar I just did the other day. Um, identifying your purpose for designing the rifle for you, not because some gun tuber told you this is how your setup should be, not because Phil, Ryan, or Kalen said this is how your rifle should be. It's just giving you right. options. And so, like you were saying how a 7.62, you know, it's typically heavier ammo. Well, it's not typically, it is heavier ammunition. You're carrying less of it, comparatively speaking, to a 5.56. And so, it was like going back to where did that round come about? and what people are trying to do with it. And so if we go back to Vietnam conflict, when we were trying to replace the M14 service rifle, chambered in 7.62 by 5.1, uh, a lot of guys liked firing fully automatic fire. And one, it was in, definitely not as accurate because of the additional recoil. They didn't carry as much ammunition. Uh, and it's, I mean, that's a big round, uh, comparatively speaking. And so, came out with the M16, uh, fast forwarding a bunch of, you know, history stuff, but 50s or 60s, somewhere in there, I forgot what it was, 50s or 60s, uh, they came out with the the test to try and adopt a new round, uh, and they came across a 222 Super, I think it was, and then they just called it the 223 Remington, and then eventually NATO designated it the 5.56, and so now we had this round that was designed for a 20-inch barrel with a, originally a 1 in 14 twist. And then eventually I think they dropped to a 1 in 12 and then a 1 in 9, and now you de deal with 1 in 8s and 7s. And um, that round, because it's so small, is very velocity-dependent. Now, I'm not a ballistician by any means, guys, so calm down. But if in the regards to that 5.56 versus a 7.62, that 5.56 round being typically on the high end of 77 grain. Uh, it's a velocity-dependent round because it's not a lot of mass to it. And so then if we fast-forward, we started making short barrels, and then the Mark 18 uh, CQBR close-quarter battle receiver originally was just an upper receiver, and uh, that was like a 10-3. And so now we're making cutting velocity drastically on these rounds and my, my point being with all this is going back to identifying your purpose with what are you trying to do like you're saying urban environments and having a do-it-all rifle it's like yeah we can make short barreled and we're cutting velocity and there's no reason you can't use a 10-3 10-5 for distance but it's trying to find that blend that happy that that happy middle ground if you will that gives you, you know, good velocity, but good maneuverability, but good precision at distance and trying to find what works for you. And that goes back to what the original question is, what is scoped carving? And it's, uh, 
by no means was I saying like 2020 is when it became a thing because it was absolutely way before that, like you were talking about with the Mark 12. Uh, but as far as like, if you look at the world we live in now with Instagram and social media, um, the hotness was CQB and Mark 18s and all that stuff for the most part until around 2020-ish. There's exceptions to every rule, but generally speaking, I think that's a safe bet to say. And so how do we define it? We define it more as like on the favors more on the precision rule, like a special purpose rifle or a designated marksman, if you will. And focusing more on that quote unquote precision aspect, because it's who we are to our core is we're precision driven, putting a bullet somewhere with intention with extreme precision, uh, regardless of the cartridge or the distance, doing everything we can to make it go where we want it to go. Uh, but still have the capability for closer engagements. Now, some individuals will train, will teach it uh, the opposite way, which by all means is well and good. It's subjective. How do you want to teach it? How, what, are you te- what do you define as scoped carbine? And I could see that more for the law enforcement guys as well, um, where it's more, hey, I have a magnified optic, but I'm mostly going to be using it for close, close engagements, but I have that capability for the occasional uh, chance contact shot at distance, if you will, or better positive identification. Is that actually a gun in their hand and whatnot? And, um, prime example would be, well, I mean, the most recent one comes to mind with the, the school shooter in Nashville. Um, and that body cam footage, uh, went viral guy had an LPVO and that's when people were making comments like, Oh, well, instructors are going to come out now and start teaching scoped carving courses because of this and yada, yada, yada. And I get it. People hop on the trend train and stuff like, and stuff like that, uh, which by no means is anything that we're doing, just to be clear, because we had this planned long before that shooting happened. Um, and then, Kaylin, I think you were even teaching it years ago. Um, I, was teach- I started teaching it last year with my previous employer. Granted, that was – a lot of the students liked it, but looking at the curriculum that I – developed then it was kind of like a last minute thing and it was just a one day course it wasn't anything special but it got the toes in the water for most of those guys uh but i'm completely changing it now to this three-day course that we're doing um and it's going to kick ass but uh that question comes up a lot as far as like like we were talking about the other day hey can i bring a red dot and magnifier to this scope carving course And that's probably other than like what barrel length (laughs) should i get um, I'd say optics is probably one of the huge debated topics like, well, red dot magnifier or LPVO and yada, yada, yada. And so it's not that you can't do these things with a red dot and magnifier. Um, I mean, if anyone wanted to call me out, like on my own Instagram page, uh, I was actually, I think it was Ridgeline, one of the Ridgeline guys was recording me or something like that. But uh, it was at the Shooter Symposium, and I was using a 12.5 with just a red dot. And Duffy, uh, you you know Duffy, right? I know Duffy pretty well. Solid dude. He was a uh, yeah. He was spotting me and shooting out to 500 yards with it. So the round, it's definitely capable weapon system, optic choice, all that stuff. But it's identifying the practicality of the tool to where if we just don't draw that line in the sand, if you will, and we just let everyone in 
in regards to, yeah, you want to show up with just an EOTech? Sure, I'll show you how to do it. Or, hey, you want to show up with this? It's like, look, I can teach you that, but there's other guys that you should be going to uh, if that's what you want to learn because that's not what we do here. We we focus more on the precision aspect, right? So going back to like Phil saying how I always say like I can close my eyes and throw my phone and I'll hit a pistol carbine instructor. They're a dime a dozen. Nothing against pistol carbine instructors. I was one of them and I taught it professionally last year uh, with that previous employer. Uh, so I, I fully support that. Uh, it's just the fact of like, hey, we don't need to become a carbine instructing course with like a red dot for like 200 yards and in. Like that's just... There's yeah, it's not plenty, the purpose. Right. It's there's plenty the of other people doing that. And so we had to kind of come up with how are we going to draw our line in the sand, right? For the most part, match grade ammo. We're not doing this uh, red dot. I mean, as a as a primary sighting system, like not a red dot and magnifier. And essentially, how can we deliver precision fires and we need that reticle, right? So that red dot, it's kind of just like, you can do it, but you're eyeballing like, eh, probably about, I'm going to hold a target over the target. And there's nothing precise or intentional with that shot, if you will. Uh, yeah, I think the, I think the, the thing is like, so when I was teaching this curriculum, we called it the SPR DMR, all right? Special purpose rifle slash designated marksman rifle, right? And that's, that's pretty much what it is, right? I mean, you're utilizing that rifle as a, as an infantry fighting rifle, and then you're able to switch gears with it and go into a more precision capacity because you have the capability with a magnified optic. So what we use, what I used to tell people is, Hey man, people would say, Hey, can I get away with this with a, with a red dot and a magnifier? And I would say, no, you can't. Um, this is, that's not the purpose of this. And like you're saying, it's like, Hey, if you want to learn that 300 yards or 200 yards and in, then yeah, go, go to a carbine course, right? Go to a carbine course because that's where you're going to learn that stuff. And this is where, and that carbine course is good because it's going to teach you weapons manipulation. And the, the main thing with shooting a fighting rifle or understanding how a fighting rifle works is not only the ability to shoot it accurately, because let's face it. I mean, unless we're, unless we're talking about suppressing fire and fire and maneuver, which is obviously a tactic that people need to understand in a professional capacity, but only the hits matter, right? Only the hits matter when it, when it boils down to it. And that's where like, that's where that, that five, five, six, um, when that, when that cartridge came about the, the government was starting to analyze rounds expended to enemy casualties, the ratio of that. And as warfare progressed and warfare became uh, less about attrition and more about fire and maneuver, the amount of ammunition expended to the ratio of the amount of ammunition expended to an enemy casualty dramatically increased. It was insane. I think, um, the first time I heard about this was I was reading uh, Colonel Grossman's book on killing and it was talking about, he was, he was talking about like the psychological aspects of, of warfare and, um, humans taking lives, taking other human lives and, and how the psychological impact of that, uh, affects soldiers. And basically what he discovered or what the data showed is that as 
the war as warfare by attrition became uh, the norm, dudes were just expending massive, massive amounts of ammunition um, because fire maneuver, the advent of the machine gun, and then trench warfare in World War One, and then obviously, you know, fire maneuver in World War II, um, the battle space continues to change. And it's almost like we're reverting back to this very precise minimizing collateral damage. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't notice that if we looked at what was going on in Ukraine, uh, you know, Russia is still utilizing tactics from, you know, the, the eighties where, Hey, we received fire from over in that direction. We're just going to level that shit, right? We're just going to level it all. And we're going to use heavy armor and we're going to use a lot of, uh, a lot of heavy, heavy machine. Like when I mean heavy, like 30 millimeter stuff from BMPs and, and BRDMs and things like that. So, um, we're almost reverting back to a more selective precision capacity. And that's essentially what's happening with force modernization. Uh, the infantryman is going to have a rifle in his hands that is capable of the same level of accuracy as a customized SPR DMR platform that we would have seen like 15 years ago, you know, and now the infantryman has that capability in their hands. And from what I understand, on the Marine Corps side of the house, anyways, the new qualification course for uh, the rifle qualification course is not easy. Uh, it's not that like, hey, we can walk off the 200 yard line as an expert anymore. It's not. Uh, your score is going to be dependent on uh, where you place the projectile onto an into an enemy combatant, and saying, hey, if you hit him in this area in the upper thoracic cavity that's going to be a higher probability of a fatal wound. So therefore we're going to give you more points for that and so on and so forth. It's not necessarily like the bullseye type accuracy that the Marine Corps has always been known for, like on the high power type stuff where it's like, you know, the, 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 the able targets and the, the X rings and so on. This is more, they're focusing on accuracy, but it's more on an anatomically correct target, uh, where you're getting feedback, which is, and we can see that with the advent of marathon targets, right? You can program a marathon target to say, Hey, it's not going to go down unless you shoot it in the head, or it's not going to go down unless you get two in the upper thoracic cavity or something to that effect. And so that's just the modernization of warfare. And I think with the scope carbine, um, and now we're cal calling it scope carbine when it, you know, when the reality of it is like we, when I grew up with it, it was an SPR DMR, uh, same thing with, with Philip, you know, and, and I think that, um, it's a necessary thing because at the end of the day, like, am I going to grab a 20 pound six, you know, six Creedmoor or six, five Creedmoor competition rifle when I need a rifle? No, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go grab, I'm going to go grab my, my DMR or my, my scoped carbine, if that's what you want to call it. And that's what I'm going to use. Yeah. And like you said, the Marine Corps is transitioning a lot to that. Um, the year I went in, uh, the Marine Corps adopted the HKM 27 IAR infantry automatic rifle, or it was the year before I went in, but it was pretty much my timeline. Uh, it came about, I got issued an M27 at one point. And I got to tell you, man, like, I love that rifle. It was inherently more precise than the M16s and M4s. Uh, it was a little heavier because it was a short-stroke piston system, which HK is pretty notorious for doing. Um, but it just stayed clean. Uh, it was more precise. And now, to my understanding, I don't know if it's fully been uh, transitioned or or whatnot, but 
pretty much the scope or the premise is that the, every infantryman is going to be getting an M27. And now you have the designated marksman that's just going to get, uh, I believe it's a Leupold Mark IV, 1 to 8, or a Trijicon. No, no, I think it's a Trijicon 1 to 8 or something along those lines. Point is, they're getting an LPVO, um, while the rest of the guys are, I think, sticking with RCOs. Don't quote me on that. But basically, everyone's getting this more capable fighting rifle that allows them to do exactly what you said that we're now going to be able to do, deliver a little bit more precision fires with intent, um, but still have that capability of standoff, um, whether it be at distance or close range as a fighting rifle. So they're seeing that. Everyone's starting to notice that. Um, and I know people could probably look at, like, modern-day snipers, like, the new guys on the block with scoped carbine and gassers and stuff like that, but, like, I can understand where maybe, I don't know, people might want to question, like, oh, well, you know, I can go, uh, we can go to Ridgeline or uh, Bruiser Industries, both phenomenal, phenomenal companies to go to, and they've been doing scope carbine a lot longer and whatnot, but uh, I think we're just giving you another option, like, I, like, like for us, like, even if it's an intro to precision rifle course, even when I teach, I say, don't just go to us, go to go seek other instructors. They might have a different flair to how they teach something. So by no means are we trying to be like the end all, end all be all by any means of the definition. We're just trying to provide extra value in our perspective and how we see things. And the three of us are not anything new to precision. Like we definitely know precision and we're now just applying it to gassers, which we're also very familiar with gassers or Phil, I think you said you're kind of new to it, but Kaylin, you taught it for a long time and you're very familiar with them. I've been teaching on them. Uh, and now we're just here to give an option to the customers as like another training source that you can go to, uh, to hopefully give you more capability with, uh, with your rifle. And that's all we're trying to do. Yeah. I think another thing to add to that too, man, is that, you know, a rifle is a rifle. It, a rifle is a rifle. It is. Right. And it doesn't really matter how it's operated, um, whether or not it's a gas-operated, piston-operated, bolt-action-operated, lever-action-operated, uh, pump-action-operated. Um, it still sends a bullet out of the muzzle, yep. you know, towards the target. <laughs> That's yep. like the general premise of things. It's a so, PVC pipe with um, sights. Yeah, right? <laughs> that are straight-ish. Straight-ish, um, yeah. <laughs> so... Something to, that's, that's really what it boils down to, man. And, and, you know, Ryan, like you're, you're more, I got, I kind of drifted. I don't want to say I dri I did, I drifted. I'm not going to say I don't want to, I did in terms of like the, like the knowledge aspect of all of the different components and parts and all the things. I mean, when I worked at Magpul, it was obviously way different because that was, that was the life, you know, we just, we were constantly making parts. We were constantly making things for different ARs. Um, and so you had to be more, you had to be really familiar with what was going on in the industry with like who's offering what components and rails and handguards and all the things, trigger kits and lower yeah. kits and stuff. And I kind of like drifted away from that. Sure. Um, and so you, however, are in that mix and you have the knowledge of all the parts and components that, uh, that make the things run. And I'm looking at, I'm, I'm, my ARs are on the wall in front of me here and there, there's nothing, every single one of them that I'm looking at is like, Hey, they're all capable rifles in the current configuration. And they haven't been updated since, oh geez, I don't know, like 
six years ago, I think was the last time I put like an upgrade kit on any of them. But guess what? They all still shoot and they all still hit targets because the principle of the, the concept is the same. And what's like, people are like, well, what's the difference? Like, what's the difference between an intro to precision rifle course and a scope carbine course? Like, right. what, what am I going to get there? And the reality is that you can come to an intro to precision rifle course with a gas gun. Doesn't matter. Yeah. It still shoots bullets. Um, I've had people come with, with five, five, six platforms. I've had people come with six arc platforms and they do fan, they do fine. They do really well. I think the difference that everybody needs to understand is that it, like you say, it's bridging the gap between that contact distance and 200 with 200 and beyond. Right. So that's what you're going to learn at this. And, and like looking at your curriculum that you've developed, it's, I mean, it's the, it's very similar to what I had developed. And when I was teaching the SPR DMR stuff, it's like, Hey, we need to familiarize people with not necessarily contact distance. I thought like, I remember when I was teaching, it was, we didn't get usually any closer than a hundred, than a hundred meters. Right. We would do like up drills and, um, we would do up drills and speed drills and stuff on steel at a hundred, 150, 200, just to show people like, Hey, it, in order for you to hit your target, you have to concentrate, like you have to focus yeah. and you have to bring to bear the fundamentals of marksmanship, even at a hundred yards shooting, a, a, an upper thoracic, like BC zone size target. And you're all gassed up and hopped up on Mountain Dew because you just sprinted, <laughs> you know, and you just did this bound, this massive, like 500 meter bound. And now, now I'm in, now I'm within range of engaging targets. Now you're going to make your shots count. Now you got to make your shots hit. And not only that, you also have to keep your gun running. You have to be able to reload it. You have to be able to reduce malfunctions. You have to be able to keep your rifle up and in the fight. And that's what, in my personal opinion, that's what a scoped carbine curriculum should be all about. Yeah. No, I'm glad you said that. Um, cause I, the curriculum that I, that I, uh, typed up and shotgunned over to you guys, you can see that I have, uh, close engagements in there even inside 25 yards. And the reason for that is, hey, we're trying, if you're running an LPVO, uh, even though my mindset, just to briefly go over this, uh, if I have like a one to eight, I'm keeping it on like eight power and I'm just traversing to a red dot for pretty much inside a hundred. Um, and then that way I don't have to go through the power range of my optic to go back to one power for close engagements or whatnot. Now, in the event that you don't have an offset red dot, which you don't have to, it, I, it, I want to make guys get used to understanding when to pick it up in magnification and when to bring it back down. And so this allowed them to kind of go through the power range or see when they should transition to a secondary sighting system or tertiary even, um, if they've got it. And, um, also, because our base is precision, precision does not always mean distance. A precision could be a three-yard shot hitting a tiny hole. And so being able to account for a mechanical offset to put the round exactly where we want, um, especially with the day and age where people are running these skyscraper mounts on ARs, uh, or and then even throwing a red out at 12 o'clock of a already 226 unity mount, like, 
it gets pretty extreme. And so knowing what that mechanical offset is, even inside distance, is going to be good for them to know. And then also in that, in that, uh, during that part of the curriculum where we're going over like, uh, you know, mechanical offsets and closer range engagements, be able to cover, like you said, malfunctions, because while it's not a traditional carbine course, it is still a carbine and we need to know how to keep it in the fight, i.e. reload it, uh, maintain it, make sure if we have a malfunction, we know how to clear it. All these different things come into play. So even though it's a scoped carbine course, there's still going to be a couple things that's very similar to a traditional carbine course. Just I'm just going to show you how to take full advantage of it and show you its full capabilities and be able to stretch its legs. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be really solid. Um, a lot, a lot of good information in there, and I love being able to just show people like, hey, this is actually what your rifle's capable of doing. And a topic that's like super near and dear to my heart is uh, talking about zeros, especially red dots, and this can apply to your offset red dot because when I was teaching professionally, uh, just regular carbine courses and stuff. I found that there's not a lot of instructors out there, even as much, even as many carbine instructors as there is out there. There's not a lot of them that are actually teaching the why. Like, why are we picking the zero? Because everyone knows, oh, 5,200, because I don't know, because CAG Team 6 decides to run it, so I should be running a 50-yard zero. But they're actually not running ballistics and seeing why are we doing this. So, like, even in our, like, the basic carbine course that I was teaching, it was... I covered going over zeroing with a red dot, and I hit the ballistic aspect of it and understanding. Now, at the end of the day, it was still just a basic carbine core, so I didn't <laughs> hook a magneto chronograph up to everyone and with 25 guys on a line and be like, oh, let's build a ballistic solver. Like, but I told them what I would do for my personal rifle, so when they leave, they have the tools and knowledge on how to better decide after the course what zero is better for me based on my one gear and two my purpose and really that comes to where we talk about zeros it's uh that really stems down to max point blank that's where these zeros came from it's like how how can i hold center with this red dot and engage at distance and be able to hit everything in between whether high or low and so you know the marine corps has the 36 meter zero so quote unquote 300 doesn't actually exactly line up at 300 but that's kind of the rule of thumb or your 5200 or 25400 whatever the case may be and so actually understanding what you as the individual shooter for your gun and your purpose like what do you deem as an acceptable size of target what is your acceptable error that you're willing to accept in your trajectory and being able to come up with what zero you should run for your optic and your rifle setup for your needs. And so I'm very passionate about that stuff. So I think I have a lot that I can bring to the table there in regards to our scope carving course for that. Yeah. It's to get people to understand what that stuff is, is, is important. I mean, like that's the battle side zero, you know, the original 36, 300, and it's basically trying to keep it as simple as possible for, for an infantry guy that says, Here's your rifle. Um, the the basic infantryman's not going to have a whole lot of understanding of of how ballistics work, and all they want to be able to do is point it at something, put the reticle or the or the front sight post, whatever it is that you're using, on a target and press the trigger, and you know apply the proper fundamentals of marksmanship, and and hopefully the bullet's going to hit the target. 
or within the vital zone of a given target size. And I think that, um, you know, as we, as we, as we develop this stuff or start looking at this stuff, it's like, Hey, this is not, you know, like the original sport in, in America was, was being a rifleman, right? You, if you were a rifleman, you know, we talked about this in the last episode, like, Hey, you had to be, you had to be accurate with your rifle. You only had one chance, you know, you only had one shot. And so you had to get good at it. And, um, it's the same thing with this perspective. It's like, Hey, you know, you have this system. Now we want to teach you how to use it as accurately as possible. Um, and that's really, that's really all this curriculum is doing. All right. And it's, um, it's not high. It's not like the, it's not like you say, it's not like we're not here to teach you how to be an operator. We're not here. This isn't like, you know, a little excerpt from OTC or anything like that. This is literally like, Hey, this is basic rifleman stuff. Right. How do you run your, how do you, how do you use this thing? Right. And so, I mean, and, and there's so many different optics out there and so many different ways that you can aim that thing. It's just, and the, and the thing that people need to understand is that they all work the same way, right? They mm -hmm. all function the same way. Um, they just have different features and, um, different numbers and different things about them, but they generally all work the same way. Right. Um, and it's teaching people how to do it and go. And then like at the end of the day, it's just like, you can look at them and go, okay, well, at the end of this, at the end of this three-day curriculum, what did you learn? And what did you learn about your capabilities as well as what did you learn about your limitations um, with not only your platform, but you yourself as a shooter? So, and, and like what you're capable of doing with that platform. So, um, I mean, man, like, yeah, there's, there's a reason like behind every blade of glass, behind I'm sorry, behind every blade of grass, right, lies a man with a rifle. And that's been the that's been one of the hallmarks of or the stereotype of America since World War Two, you know, and maybe even beyond. Because people are like, hey, you know, let's let's go invade the United States. Like, well, that's probably not a good idea because behind <laughs> every blade of grass is gonna be somebody with a rifle. As a farmer. And that's with a exactly light. right. That's exactly right. You know, that's exactly right. So, and that's really what this, that's really what it's all about because it's the most common weapon system out there. Right. And now we're starting to see a lot more people out there with lever guns. Yeah. You know, yeah. Cool, man. Let's fucking, I'm, I'm going to build a couple of them because <laughs> that's the next, I mean, that's the next thing. Yeah. You know, it's if they, if, if they, the proverbial, they, you know, lever guns, the uh, lever guns, like probably the bare bones minimum next to a, next to a good old fashioned pump action shotgun, um, which you can be pretty damn accurate with those things too. Yeah. I grew up killing deer with those things as a kid with a big freaking giant ass 12 gauge slug <laughs> kill shit pretty well. I guess the best way of just summarizing what we're doing is we're taking our expertise in precision and our expertise with carbines, uh, and blending, and blending it. it together and trying to just be and give you another option in the industry to teach you how to fully exploit your weapon system and just trying to help you out and make you a better shooter. That's all we're trying to do. We're not trying to replace any other guys that are teaching scoped carbine. We're not trying to step on anyone's toes. We're not saying we are the end-all, be-all. We're just, hey, we, we know 
we know a thing here and there, and we just want to be able to provide some information to you guys and give you guys better understanding. Um, Phil, you got anything about? You haven't really said much. Uh, no, I mean, I'm just listening. I, I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about, especially a question that you had sent us via text was like, hey, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions as I'm developing my scope carving courses. Like, hey, can I, can I run this with a red dot and a magnifier? Mm-hmm. And then we just had to draw the line of like, hey, no, right? And then obviously people are going to be butthurt and be like, well, so-and-so does it. It's like the, they do. The, 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 the thing that people have to realize is like that is very similar to for people to come to our um, bolt gun, you know, in-person classes with like a ACOG. with a ACOG or even with a gas gun. And now they're not having the same experience as everybody else, right? Sure. Because that curriculum are for intro. Yeah, you know, like you can bring a gas gun, but as we have like honed in our curriculum with our evaluations and the size of targets at that venue, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the courses of fire are, you know, engaging targets from two to three MOA, right? And you start pushing that gasser that that person brought out to five, six, seven. I mean, he's lobbing eight, nine rounds before he even hits it. And whereas like, you know, the guy that just brought a savage six creed, six, yep. five creed, I mean, he's getting on his first, second shot. And so now that individual that brought not enough gun or not the right tool for that specific class is not just not having a, a, a good experience, right? Right. And I think ultimately, you know, that is what we want to avoid because, you know, when you go to a course, like it's not about us teaching you, it's about it's about you as the end user, your experience of how you, like you get instruction based off of, you know, our expertise, our ability to build a curriculum based off of, you know, years and years of experience of, hey, this is what works in terms of how to deliver information in a very systematic approach versus just like data dumping a bunch of shit on you to to make it seem like, you know, like we're cool or whatever the, whatever the case right. is. Because, you know, we talk about this a lot. Like I remember when I first started teaching on the civilian side, even, even not, not even the civilian side, but when I started teaching at cyber school, like I was so passionate about teaching. I wanted to like data dump my brain to these kids, but I realized like I was doing more harm than good because now their ability to actually understand or retain that information, I'm just like overwhelming them. You know what I mean? And so um, I know there's, you know, classes out there where people, you know, essentially I, I call, call it like big words when you look at like their curriculum and it's like, it's like all fluff. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yes. like, it's like you're really gonna fit all that in three days, right? Because the reality of it is, it's you're not, you yeah. know. And I'm, I'm I'm really glad you said that. It's because if you remember uh, the curriculum I sent you, and everything is open to change as as growth occurs and whatnot. But how I have it tailored currently, I, I'm a big fan of it. But it's a little unconventional to where if you remember the zeroing aspect, I'm not gonna get into all our curriculum. Not that it's anything freaking classified by any means but it's just as far as like uh you're going to be zeroing primary optic and secondary optic if you have it uh at different points during the course just so we can focus on hey we're zeroing this because of x y and z reason we're going to focus on this instead of just data dumping like you're saying fluffing all this stuff and throwing in all these all this curriculum that I'm trying to teach you, and now we just go and do it. Instead, I want you to, we're gonna focus on a topic, 
do it. And we're going to focus on another topic, do it. And so being able to break that up, but understand what we can and can't do in the three days, like I'm not going to, like we're not going to make you bobbly swagger with an AR-15 in, in three days. It ain't going to happen. Um, but understanding what to do, when to do it, and things along those lines. So like you said, man, like people will fluff things up, and that's the last thing that I want to do is just fluff, be a fluffer. So <laughs> I don't want to be a fluffer. And so, um, yeah. Go on. You were saying, and it won't be, it's just, it's just, it's, it's the content, right? It's the content of the curriculum and it's what you're, it's what you're learning. So, I mean, we, we also had a lot of lessons learned too, Philip, when, when the M110 SAS came into play, right? When the M110 SAS came into play, um, you don't really see that thing tricked out or, or not even tricked out, but like kitted out for urban fighting. Like I would never on any of my rifles, I, I don't have the PRS, the Magpul PRS stock on it. It's a freaking behemoth. It's heavy. It's, it's, it's unnecessary, right? That's not what that, that's not what that rifle's designed to be. You want that rifle to be uh, essentially an extension of an infantry fighting rifle. So like the majority of my carbines, actually all of them, I mean, I have minimalistic stocks on all of them. I mean, I think the be- I think the most feature rich stock I have on one of them is an STR. Everything else is a CTR stock from from Magpul. I want everything as streamlined and and as you know uh, lightweight as absolutely possible because that's a premium when mm-hmm. you have to move with all of your shit in in a combat environment. You have to be able to be light as possible, right? Because there's a balance to that. We still have to be able to have ammunition to fight with. We obviously still have to be able to communicate. We have to be able to sustain ourselves with, with enough water, um, just minimal amount of food. Um, but then we have things like night vision, we have grenades, we have breaching charges. We have all of these things that we need to do are now the advent of tripods and you know, making sure that I can build a solid shooting position, that weight, that infantry load starts going up and up and up. Right. And you see all the LARPers that are out there and they're just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And it's just like, no, you're not, you, you couldn't even run, you couldn't even run a fucking mile with that shit and survive. Yeah. You're going to be completely useless because you're missing the other aspect of, 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 uh, of those infantry skills. And that aspect is the, the ability to shoot, move and communicate. Right. So movement and communication being, you know, just as, as important in the triangle. So, you know, it's like, yeah, okay. You got that capability, but you still have to be able to move and get to where you can employ that capability. So, um, all of my rifles are kitted out as, as minimalistic as possible, uh, with as little on the rifle that I need. I mean, so obviously suppressor, a great, a great option. And and it's not necessarily for sound reduction. It's literally for signature reduction Mm -hmm. so that you can maintain your shooting position for a longer duration of time to be effective before your position gets compromised, right? Signature reduction. Number two, the ability to have, you know, um, some, some close range fighting characteristics, like a good, like a high quality light. Um, I, I do run lasers, all right. I have, I have a mall on a couple of my rifles and that's a really, that's an excellent capability. 
not always going to be permissive. It just depends on, on the, on the threat and whether your environment is going to be uh, permissive for you to use that equipment, but it's still there in the event that I, that I can use it. Um, a detachable bipod. So that way you can throw that thing in your, in your, in your dump pouch when you don't want it. And then when you need it, you can take it out of your dump pouch and throw it on there and have that more precision capacity for building more solid positions or sustainable positions. Um, a sling, absolute necessity, man, you got to have a sling. You got to be able to retain your rifle to go hands-free and you got to be able to learn how to use your sling to augment your shooting position and gain more stability. And then obviously your, your sighting system, Ryan, you, you, you know, you, that's, that's your bread and butter, right? You, you, you got some LVPOs or uh, LPVOs in front of you right now yep. that you want to talk about. And I got a couple here as well. Um, but, uh, you know, keeping the rifle as simple as possible and, and making it as easy to use as possible is the name of the game. You don't have to have a whole bunch of shit on it to make it useful and an effective tool. No. No, that's that's awesome, dude. I'm glad you. I'm really glad you said that. It's understanding your purpose. And I think that's the number one thing. That's gonna what purpose will drive. Other than budget, purpose will drive your decision. Are we doing? Uh, am I am I just trying to make the most precise AR I can? I don't care about anything other than precision and being able to stretch its legs. All right, I might go with an 18, 20 inch barrel, heavier contour rifle length gas system, maybe a rifle plus one from CLE. Um, you can go any of these routes that you want to go and f- kind of ride that spectrum. How I always say like no free lunch where you got to give something to get something. So I can sacrifice on weight. I'm going to get a shorter barrel probably, or a lighter contour or a combination of such. Uh, but now I lack velocity to really stretch its legs as efficiently, not impossible, but just lack efficiency in delivering precise fires at distance and uh yeah so like lpvos like a lot of this your purpose will drive your uh, decision making on optics as well which like we're going to be doing in the webinar this week and whatnot but as far as understanding what an lpvo is and it's just a low power variable optic or a low variable variable power optic however you want to call it it's just typically your one to four, one to six, one to eight, one to ten, and those two power increments is usually how you'll see them. And first focal or second focal plane usually. And you got to understand, like, it's a hell of a force multiplier to a traditional carbine, but LPVOs kind of inherently suck for what they are. Like, you're trying to cram a lot in a compact package. And we've we're constantly getting better with technology, but it's like, hey, you might find that it's freaking amazing on like 10 power, if you will, the high end, but it's not as great at one power or vice versa. And so depending on how they want to manufacture that, I'm not an, I don't manufacture optics by any means, but to my understanding of stuff and how basic understanding of scopes and optics. Now, do we want to run a first focal plane or a second focal plane and things like that. And it's like, uh, I used to be of the mindset like, oh, well, I don't see, I don't ever see the point of running a second focal plane. And then we got to take a step back and actually look at it. Like what's the most common magnification range you see in an LPVO? One to six. Usually that's typically the most common right now. Well, anyone that's really used LPVOs, when are you actually on two, three, four, and five 
on that one to six, right? We're either probably on one or we're probably on six uh, because six still is not a whole lot of magnification. Or we'll just keep it on six anyways and then run a, a secondary or tertiary optic or sighting system, if you will, to engage closer shots where that way I can just keep it on six the whole time. Well, now I'm on full power and I can use my second focal plane. But now if I'm on one power, if I chose to, I have a bigger reticle than if it was a first focal plane on one power, if that makes sense. So there is some benefits there. Um, but then I'd say once you start getting on like that one to eight and one to 10, that's where you might find yourself in the intermediate ranges, which is why now once we get to like your one to eights and up, you'll typically, for the most part, just see them in first focal plane. Uh, and that's why I run like I, right here, I've got the night force attacker one to eight, which I think is... Anyone that follows me knows I'm not a big Night Force fan, but I do think this LPVO is probably one of the best LPVOs on the market. Um, and it's you can see the technology shift with the other one here, which is yours, Kalen. It's your 1.1 to 8 CQBSS Mark 8 from Leupold. Uh, phenomenal optic. This is old. It's like 12 years old, I think, when they first came out. Yeah, and it's really great clarity, uh, really capable optic. Uh, but it's long as hell. But that's also what makes it really clear is because of how long it is. You look at like the Vortex Gen 3, 1 to 10, they're cramming a 10 power magnification range because it's still 10 power, 1 to 10, unlike a 2 to 10, which is 5 power. You're cramming 10 power into a compact package. Something's got to give. We're not there yet technologically wise. Now, is it a good optic? 100%. I used to own one. I think it's a great scope. But on the top end, it you can see a difference if you look through like an attacker one to eight, uh, or the vortex one to ten. You'll like you'll see an optical difference a little bit if you pay attention to it. And I think it's just understanding like you got to understand the pros and cons of everything in life. Like what if I get this, what am I sacrificing? What's the pros and cons? Do I care more about a one power? Do I care more about a ten power? I personally don't care as much about a one power based on my desired use of an LPVO or hours because we're all in agreement of all that. So typically an SPR style role, I'm going to pretty much have it on max power 98% of the time um, and then just run a secondary or third sighting system. But then it's uh, going back to like you're saying, understanding like how we set things up for us, uh, nothing more, nothing less. Um, a lot of guys have the like a backup iron sights and things along those lines, and I've always been like, well, I'm all about it. Like options are great. It's just for me personally and how I how I set my rifles up. I have I don't have a QD mount, so even if my primary optic goes down, I still have my secondary optic, like the red dot. Even if that goes down, I can still go back to the LPVO with an etched reticle, so I have some form of use. Uh, I'd like to get a laser, so I have a, the tertiary, but in the event that I, like I see iron sights that are under, not 45 degree to angle, but like just perfectly on the upper receiver and the handguard, and that rear sight is like right under the ocular housing of the LPVO, but it's not a direct detached mount anyway. So it's like, well, do I need this? And so it's like, it's fine if, if you do, like there's nothing wrong with it. It's just for my purposes, it's like, well, I can't even quickly remove the optic to use the uh, 
to use the irons. And so it's like that, or it's like the discussion of like, well, do you carry a spared mag with your EDC carry? I'm not going to get into that argument, but it's, do I need it? Or what are the chances of using it versus me constantly always having it on? So it's, while you're thinking of it's, it's, it's redundancy. And while I definitely 100% appreciate the, uh, the level of preparedness, uh, and wanting to have sighting systems just for me personally, I just don't, uh, again, I have no issue with anyone that does it. It's just for me and my use, I try and make things like you said, Caitlin, minimalistic. Um, and so I like running, I have my primary and my secondary, and I'd like to get, uh, a mall as well that I can even use in daytime and it's daytime bright. So I can use that as a just straight heads up sighting system. And I can run that laser if I wanted to as a tertiary, I just don't have a need for the irons though. Um, but that's just me. It's just understanding like, what are you trying to accomplish with the, with the gun, man? That's really, yeah. that's really all it is. Yeah. I, man, and I've got the, the, um, the, the discussion on the second focal plane versus first focal plane with regard to like, you know, these platforms, it's, it's a viable argument. I think oh, it's a sure. very viable argument. Um, I have a Collis, uh, one to eight that it's a second focal plane. And I think that the reticle in that Collis is it's, it's smart, it's slick, it's easy. It's in one mil radian increments. And for the purposes of a scoped carbine, I think it's a, I think it's a great option. Um, now it's definitely something you have to keep in the back of your mind or you have to train yourself for and understand that if you've been so used to shooting a front focal plane optic and all of a sudden you jump back to a second, you just have to be aware of what it is that you're, that you're using so you don't slip up. But then again, if, um, if we're relying on a different zero, then we should be looking at max point blank range anyways, and all the other things that go into that. So, um, I think that one to eight is going to be a, I think it's going to be badass. It's super light. Um, it's very, very quick and it actually, it has an illuminated center dot. So you can use it like at the, at the eight power, there's your, you know, there's where your reticle sub tensions are doing what they're supposed to do. They're subtending at one mil. And then, you know, at the one power you have a dot and you're absolutely right. I, th I think you're right. Now going like using the rifle, you're either going to be at one power and you're going to be like, now you're on the X. And if you're on the X and you're like, you know, maybe you were supporting something in overwatch, right? Well, I'm going to be on eight power because that's where my precision capacity comes into play. And I'm going to be, you know, I might be moving my range of magnification in and out to, to conduct observation or look into things to make sure that everything is good doing my job for, on an overwatch platform. But then as soon as I'm, you know, if I have to backfill or I have to collapse on the objective for whatever reason it is, I'm automatically going to drop that down to one power because that's where I'm going to be relying on that infantry. I'm shifting gears, right? I'm shifting gears between precision and right. infantry stuff. So, and I think that's going to be a, a great platform for it. Sometimes I even think these LPVOs get a little too complex and people are trying to cram so much shit into these reticles. Yep. Oh, you need to have this. You need to have that. It's like, no, man. You, that's why we got secondary optics. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's it. And totally. Yeah, it. And it's like, you look at these magnification ranges and actually Alex at Ridgeline, he, uh, I learned this from him. I didn't take his class, but I've just, I know it's, what he's kind of known for putting out as far as 
um, two power for every hundred meters is what he recommends. And it's not just for the ability of, you you know, shooting steel, it's PID and positive identification of things in, uh, different environmental conditions. And just before I moved here, me and my former roommate, uh, Zach, uh, he also a former coworker of mine, um, from the previous job, he, I had your CQBSS here mounted on my SPR and, um, he had his Vortex Gen 3, 1 to 10. And so we took turns um, looking through the optics uh, at distance at like, hey, 50 yards, 75, 100, 100 meters away, and just a Glock in our hand or a cell phone. It's like, can you identify, and it was a bright day in, in, our, in our backyard and just trying to actually study going between the different magnification ranges at what power can I positively say, other than, hey, I know you just went down range with a gun in your hand. Like, can I just, I come up and I can positively say uh, without any bias, like, yeah, that's a gun. And so we started to see like 100 meters, like even in bright sunlight, that eight and 10 power to see a handgun just by his side, not like pointing at me or anything like that, but just like holding it by his side, by his leg or a cell phone in the other hand to really identify it. It was around that 8 to 10 range. Um, so you see a lot of the LPVOs that are 1 to 4. And, man, I got to tell you, like, even at 75, 80 meters with a Glock or a cell phone in the hand on 4 power, it was like, I, if I had, if I was like, I take the shot, I'm going to court either way. Like, I don't know if i take that shot. Because I, I, at least the way I saw it or the lighting, like, I could not identify, like, mm, I'm not positive what that is in his hand. And it really opens your eyes to like, hey, I need to know what my capabilities are with this and why am I picking this magnification range. Um, but uh, I'm actually doing a post this week on two different diopter settings you can do for the LPVO, courtesy of Buck. I learned this from him. He did a video on it. Um, setting your diopter in a manner, because a big complaint people have with LPVOs that run them a lot on one power is like, oh, well, it's kind of fish-eyeing or like a fishbowl. It doesn't seem like a true one power. Well, this goes back to purpose. Like if you're going to, you can set the diopter up in a traditional sense where you make the reticle perfectly crisp and clear to your eye. Um, but our diopter also affects magnification. So now I can set the diopter in a manner where the reticle's fuzzy, but I'm only, it's only for use on one power. And then I can force, but I'm getting too ahead of myself. If I set the diopter up to where I get 15, 10, 5 yards away from something to set this diopter up perfectly, make a second witness mark as, hey, this is my close range diopter setting. And now I just move that diopter in a manner that uh, the world around me and the optic looks 100% the same. It's a, and I just made a true one power uh, by adjusting the diopter. And then if I had to, and I was on that diopter setting, but the, I had to take a shot at distance, my eye can constrained to bring the reticle in focus just for a couple seconds to take that shot. Well, well, yeah, let's, let's, let's look at that for a second though. That's, that brings up a great point. So if you are on one power, um, and you've, you're either moving, right. You're, you're moving or you're on the X on the objective and you're actively, um, utilizing the rifle to search for threats or engage targets of opportunity, whatever the case is, how long are you really 
are you using one power right. to observe things or are right. you just using one power to engage things? You know, you're using the rifle should be at the, you know, at the high ready or, you know, medium ready position. And you're looking over the optic with your eyesight to identify threats to index, but you're only utilizing that optic to engage the threat at that point in time. So for me personally, I don't really care about the whole, cause you know, you, you're right. Like you put up a one power, and it's not really true one part. You look in, you look out, and you're like, yep. ah, there's a little bit of distortion there. Who cares? Right? Yep. I'm only in that, I'm only in that thing for, you know, just a snap second while I take a shot. Now, on the other hand, if we're utilizing the optic in a in an overwatch situation where, you know, we have a sustained shooting position or a sustained observation position. Yeah, now we've got the optic at maximum power. I'm gonna spend a lot more time looking through the optic. So yeah, eye fatigue becomes an issue and all those sure. things that, you know, that happen util utilizing magnified optics for observation. But, you know, it brings up the, the, just the versatility of everything. Definitely. It's very versatile. And um, like we said, man, you know, boils down to it. It's just like, hey, what rifle are you going to pick when yep. something goes wrong? Or like, you know, where I'm at, you know, I got coyotes running around my house and stuff. <laughs> I'm not going to be, I, I'm not picking up, you know, my, my competition rifle to go <laughs> whack a coyote. I'm going to pick yeah. my, I'm going to pick my, my Hodge that's set up for it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's set up to shoot. It's a DMR, yeah. right? It's a, it's a SCO carbine. So I can have it fulfill multiple roles. I have every intent of teaching the different diopter settings because it might not have someone come through a class that has a secondary optic. The LPVO might be the primary and only sighting system. So, hey, I'll show you how to make this LPVO as close to the pros of a traditional red dot as possible by making it a true one power and using the brightness settings. And I mean, it's still gonna have eye relief unlike a traditional red dot. All training being equal, you're gonna just be faster on a regular red dot, all things being equal. But I can show you with a second diopter setting how to make full effect of that. Now, do I recommend doing that and how to set the diopter to a true one power if you're running a secondary and tertiary setting system? No, I'm going to keep it set for the reticle for me personally and keep that optic on high power and then just transition to the secondary setting system. Or here's the thing, like a lot of us nowadays have pistols, right? So I'm probably, it's a good chance I have a sidearm for anything inside that, you know, room clearing if you will and i can just transition to that and i could pie a corner a hell of a lot better and i am not going to get into tactics that's the extent of it but that is it's just understanding putting a why to it like why are we actually doing something and i think that's just what's lacking in this industry is everyone's just like oh yeah this is cool or we're going to pack this full of features it's like all right well why the hell are we doing this tell me why and like well because i can do this 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 and this and i was like all right well, that's cool why are you going to need it well no okay so why do you have it and so, it, like, in a sense, if you really think about it, a lot of it's, we all kind of LARP to an extent, <laughs> which if you really think about it, it's like, hey, we set these up, and it's like, well, I can do this, 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 and this, and it's like, okay. hypothetic, I mean, the chances of it happening is slim to none, and I, we hope to God that we never have to, it's, we just build it for the sense of, if it does happen, we're prepared, which I 1000% support, um, but then it's like, you got dudes that have like f six different aiming systems on a gun and now 
multiple suppressors and then a clip-on and then a thermal clip-on. And my point being is, like, they, we just go down all these rabbit holes of, like, being over-prepared to where – well, I don't want to say over-prepared, uh, but kind of doing too much to make a GP rifle, a general-purpose rifle. Understand the capabilities and limitations with each platform that you have and select the right tool for the job. And I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll get hate for that, but whatever. Nah, if you get hates, hate just means that you're doing something right and it doesn't matter. That's their problem, not yours. Um, no, I think, uh, I think that this is good, man. I, I we have, um, we just shot out an email with, uh, with the upcoming courses that we have and those should be available for registration here really, really shortly. Um, just so that you know, guys, like the listeners, you know, bringing that stuff to fruition on technology side of the house is not an easy thing to do. Right. So, um, you guys will be able to register for these classes here probably within the next couple of days, everything should be up and ready to go. So, um, check out moderndaysniper.com, cruise over to the events tab, and you're going to be able to see all the scope carbine classes. So we got, um, we have September, October, November, and December. Uh, listed out right now for for opportunities for scope carbine. So, and we're going to a couple of new venues, which I'm super stoked about. Uh, Ryan, you found uh, Cap Rock in Texas, yeah, which is yeah. awesome. That's uh, September. Um, yep. I'd have to look at the dates because it's an intro course followed by scoped carbine. Um, I think Phil will be at Ohio Range Day um, during those dates. Uh, so I think it's going to be me and you, Kalen, probably. I'd imagine for that. Most likely for the Caprock mm -hmm. one. And then um, October is Utah. Uh, I forgot the name of the range. I have it on my phone. I'll have to look at it. But um, that's going to be in... Uh, it's Price. Carbon it's in Price. Price, yeah. Carbon County or something like that. Uh, it's in Price, Utah. That's going to be in October. And then you said we're set for December yep. in Arizona? Mm-hmm. Cool. So yep. that'd be great. It's going to be southeast of Phoenix. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to all of it. Yeah, we've been wanting to, we've been wanting to get down to, we've been wanting to find a venue in Arizona for a long time, and this is this venue is. Uh, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag just yet, but the venue that we're going to is super super rad, um, and the people that own the venue. Uh, have been putting uh, a lot of effort into it and creating something out there in the in the desert that's going to be super super cool for uh, mm -hmm. for not only just scope carbine stuff but for other things uh, kind of like a steel safari ish type environment so i'm uh, looking forward to that and um yeah and then and then november is pig river so we got we got pig river coming up again. oh yeah because yep. Josh is badass, and we love going to his range, and it's super fun to go. Are we, there. Do, are we doing a scope carbine and an intro there class there? That's the plan. Oh, we are. And no, and at Pig River. Yeah. yeah that's oh, the plan. okay. Do you not want to? No, no, I'd love to. That'd be a great place to do it. As, <laughs> yeah. As is news to me, I didn't know. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Um, I think uh, it's just going to give people another opportunity to 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 have a different training offering from us. Yeah, that's all it is, man. It's just options. We're just here to provide options. We're not the end all be all for anything. I need to get a Dylan. Is it a ten fifty? A ten fifty? Yeah, an auto. Uh, where it's an auto. It's a. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The fully automated. It's a. That's a Dylan. Machine. That's a Dylan ten fifty, ain't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think 
especially with the volume with Ryan being here. Let's talk about training. Oh, with no, the, let's, let's uh, talk let's about not. training with intention for a second. All right, let's calm down. So let's calm we down. Went, it was like the first time we went out to the range since he's an ammo monster, isn't he? He's, Dude, he's, 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 he's talking shit. He's talking I thought shit. you were an animal monster, Caitlin. I'm not talking you, shit. You kind of are. I'm not talking well, shit. But like, I'm just man. I'm stating facts. Hey, I missed. I measured in the right place. Another round. Like, I'm not sixty rounds go so quickly. <laughs> and I was like, man. For the sake of this story, we'll just say it was nine millimeter or five five six, and that was all it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Even though it wasn't, but, we'll but in reality, it was. it was it was probably Creedmoor ammo. It was six at five, like a buck fifty a fucking shot. Yeah, it was six, <laughs> six five. five Creedmoor, and I was like, holy crap. Yeah. Um, hey, I was yeah. I was just popping my cherry on the new range, just enjoying it, and now, hey, we took care of that. Now we're gonna train with intention. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, man. And, and you can't get, good. it can get out of control. Yep. You can get out of control. So, and that's the thing, like, you know, shifting gears from, you know, that, that world of just shoot the drill again, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just shoot, uh, like a one to a one through five drill, right? Let's get some reps on the one through five drill, right? Work those mechanics, work those, those, the, the visual acquisition and all of those things that go into that particular drill. It's not, that's yeah. different than shooting a precision rifle. It's a mentality. Phil's going to have a little bit of a rude awakening when he starts getting into the gas guns, though. It's like, I am the Reaper with every shot. And he's like 12 seconds between each trigger pull. I'm like, bro, we're going to pick this pace up. You're going to learn what it's like to burn ammo quick. Still with yeah. intent, I, I but mean, you're going to be shooting much quicker. For sure. And that's a big, that's a, that's something to, that's something to discuss too, right? Because the age old adage of, you cannot miss fast enough to hit. And I think sometimes when people get into that mix with that carbine, um, they, they, they revert back to that where it's just like, well, send another, send another, send another. And, um, well, so, so I'll, I'll throw this out to you guys, uh, uh, an experience that I had. So I went and shot the, um, the sniper adventure challenge with competition dynamics and my partner, um, had never shot a competition dynamics match before. And I had already shot a couple of steel safari events with those guys and Zach and Ray, they know how to set up a match and their targets are not big. Their targets are precise and you have to be on your game. And when we were talking about loadout for this, it was going to be, I was going to be running the bolt gun and he was going to be running a gas platform. And I specifically told him, I said, look, man, when you show up to this thing, you need to bring an SPR. We're not talking about just a straight up, you know, infantry fighting rifle. Right. And so I said, look, the, the targets are going to be small. The targets are going to be out at distance and you're going to need to have some precision capability with this. So you need to be showing up with 77 grain stuff, minimum 16, like minimum 16 and a half inch barrel. And you need to have a magnified optic on that thing. And, uh, lo and behold, dude shows up with a freaking 20 inch, you know, basically M16 A2 clone and, uh, with an ACOG on it. And I was like, my man, homeboy, what are you, what are you doing, dude? Like, what do you, like, that's not good. Did you bring something else? And he's like, nah, man, this is what I got. And the first stage, the first stage, like it was like, I think 55% Ipsix, 30, 33 and 55% Ipsix out to like 350 yards. And he had to hit all of those targets before I could start shooting the precision steel 
with my rifle. And you only had a certain amount of time to do it. And he burned like 35 rounds. Really? Just to hit four. Yeah. He burned. And it's just like, dude, come on, man. Like I'm sitting here waiting. And so, so that's something to be said for folks. And that's, that's something to, that, that people need to understand that like, you need to be very cautious or very, um, careful in how you set your rifle up for what you're doing with it. And if the targets are small, you really need to have the ability to see where the bullets are going because he couldn't see where the bullets are going with that ACOG and he couldn't adjust. Yep. Right. So you needed more magnification and you need more ability to dial precisely to get those bullets to hit the targets. And that was a, val- a valuable lesson to be learned. Yeah. So um, things like that are, the, the only way you're going to learn those lessons is, is, you know, you can learn them, you can listen to us talk on this podcast, but until you're actually doing it and you're like, man, I just burned 30, 30 rounds trying to hit four targets, gone, like completely gone. So, and that's a normal thing. That's not a, that's a normal thing. And like, because you just say, oh, I'll just press the trigger again. And like you say, and learning, like learning it through your own experiences, it's going to require, <laughs> in my opinion, more experiences um, to learn what you like with a carbine setup, especially a scoped carbine, because it's for sure it's not a dedicated precision rifle where it's just for precision or a 10-3 Mark 18 where it's just for close range work. Like this is blending everything. So it's like yeah. you need a, it's trying to find that little sweet spot for your purpose. Um, yep. And that's, that'll come with time. Um, I'm always evolving myself and I'm like, mm, you know, maybe I could do this different or maybe I should get a slightly lower mount or a slightly taller mount depending on my purpose. Am I going to be prone more? Am I going to be heads up more? And that's a whole other thing we can get into, but we don't need to, but. Well, yeah, we, I mean, you got your webinar coming up this week yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's going to be. It's going to be badass, Phil. What what are you gonna What are you planning on building? Oh man, I'm just I'm I'm uh I'm going straight full retard. Full full Ryan, aka full, retard. Full full like buy once, cry once. Well, so the I guess like the what we're going out with here was like, I think I decided, you know, I really have a couple carbines that like you know I can use as like you know red dot and, and stuff like that, but I would say I, I wanted. I wanted to focus more on the precision side of the house with this, right? So uh, I just ordered a Noveski Gen 4, uh, Gen 4 match set, uh, nice. upper and lower. And so I think um, I'm going to go with uh, probably around a 16, 18-inch. I wouldn't do the 18. Um, I think Maybe 16, 16 with, a, with a can. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think, again, staying more toward the precision side of the house with the occasional the ability to be able to shoot closer 100% but the intent because you know again I'm I'm a I'm a precision shooter uh, by trade um, and I just want to be able to see okay hey how precise can you get with a gas gun system right and then kind of hone continue to hone my skills yeah. in that in that application so that you know when people do come to class I can say hey this is like this is what I can do you know, and this is what I've been able to do with regard to fundamentals or, or whatever the case is to really maximize the most out of a, a precision system. For sure. Right. And that's, that's what like, then the one other thing that I'll add is like 
tuning that system, man, because it's not like a dead system like a bolt-action rifle. We have a gas-operated system and most, usually a direct impingement or it's a short-stroke or long-stroke piston system. And uh, I talked about this a little bit on the webinar. It's just understanding how this gun operates. And I'm no gunsmith. Like, Trajectory Arms is probably who I would look at as, like, one of the top pinnacles for, like, building a rifle because that's gunsmith level. Now, my, my background is, like, I've gone through – uh, the Blackwater, or, well, Academy, Academy, AR, M16, AR-15 armor course. Uh, I've built ARs. I worked at Palmetto State Armory. I didn't build the build the guns, but I got a lot of the rifles to see if I can fix and diagnose before having to go through the process of sending it back to the company. And so I got really good at diagnosing and building and tuning rifles and all this stuff and riding that scale of reliability versus felt recoil and it's a whole ball game we can get into as far as like well what are we going to tune because if i change one thing in that it's going to alter the ejection pattern of that gun and how it wants to operate and so that's another thing that i'm going to get into with phil uh we talked about it on the webinar for those of you that were in on it but yeah like gas buffer system and uh spring so or gas spring and buffer weight that's the order i go in and usually People just slap in heavier buffers, but it's not always the most efficient way to go. It's the easiest, but not always the most efficient. But, yeah, there's so much that goes into these carbines, man. It's it's insane. It is insane. I'm looking forward to it, uh, doing this with Phil. I'll be good. Yeah, man. He just learned how to edit his well, own boys. video last last Friday. So yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that, learning. That was an experience. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, not only that, but like again, I, you know, Ryan, uh, you know, from the outside, right? And we we talk about this a lot. Like, shooters get to a certain point to where, like, unless I see what you see, or you see what you see when you look back at like, like matching up with your trigger cam and how you're shooting, like, yep, you're not able to get to that next level. You know what I mean? Unless again, you're continuously going out and you're you're putting reps in by by uh, you know going to competitions or whatever the case is. But like, if you want to, you know, get yourself to where like, hey, I am really applying, you know, or maximizing my individual capability or growing by one percent without you know spending thousands and thousands of dollars of traveling the country and and shooting, it's it's understanding that hey now you need a trigger cam and you need to be able to know how to pair up a trigger cam with your with your a camera so that you can see your trends of like hey this is what my reticle looks like and it jumps oh when it jumps like that i also see a point eight and point impact shift i also see this you know or right. subconsciously I, I don't know i'm doing this and and i think uh that was one of the things that we really point, point out with ryan because I, I asked him you know i asked him, i was like hey have you been able to like sit back watch your footage of like your trigger cam and yourself like back to back right frame by frame and then remember what you were actually feeling when you were making those shots especially when you when you when you shot your clover leaf group right mm -hmm. like go to go back as as uh you know recent as that was <laughs> versus you know just watching yourself shoot without the trigger cam yeah and it's it's harder man without it because like you said, it's like you get to that point where, like, I'm no master by any means, but it's like I look at videos of myself and it's like, okay, well, that trigger control, okay, well, that's perfect. It's like, 
bolt manipulation, that's fine. Like body position looks perfect. It's like, okay, I can't see just from looking at myself anything wrong, fundamentally speaking, uh, as, as like a, oh, like, like I'm at an intro course and I can see this dude's uh, laying prone like a GI Joe uh, toy. Like, no, we need to fix that. Like, but now hooking up to go to that next level, like with the trigger cam and being able to go frame by frame, watch the recoil impulse, knowing my own mindset and what's probably going on in my head when I see this and that. And it, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm only going to progress myself while I'm out here. Um, so I'm looking forward to going down these rabbit holes. Uh, I think Phil and I are going to help each other out with a lot. I'm going to bring a lot more of the gas gun stuff to him. He's going to bring more of like the video editing and making myself go to that next level, uh, fundamentally wise, if you will. Um, so it'll be a good relationship. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. Um, I'm super stoked that you made it out to Wyoming. I'm super stoked that you guys are co-located together. And, um, I think, uh, that this year is going to be, I think this year is going to be a lot of fun. And I think yeah. that, um, what we have to, what we have to get back to and, 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 and understand is that, um, this is a, this is a life that's created by design and, in order for us to def like, basically what we're doing is we're defying the normal. Right. And, and that's like a, that's a, that's a Cody Alford thing, defy the norm. And his thought process on that is like, I don't have to do it your way. I don't have to do it your way. I don't have to do it anybody's way. I want to do it my way. And that's it. And so you can do that. And right now what we're doing is we're finding our own way. We're finding our own path. And the key is, is to make sure that we're staying focused on the, the intention, focused on the goal, and then having fun while we do it. And, um, and when those things come together, right, when those things come together, it's not effort. It's just uh, you, you don't look at it and go, man, I have to go do this or I have to go to the range or I have to go film this. No, 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 no. You, you get to, you get to go do that. You get to have that opportunity to do what it is that you love to do and do it for a living. And, um, I think that, you know, the culture of today has shifted largely in terms of like, it's a creator culture. It's a creative culture. We don't have to go submit ourselves to the normal activities of the world. Right. Um, or what was once thought to be normal that's shifting every day. And the fact is, is that, yeah, we're in a, we're in a position where we can, we can do things, um, and deliver, deliver information that is people want and, and people need. And so we're able to live that life by design and have fun while we do it. And that's the, that's the, the most, that's the most badass part about this whole thing. So Definitely. for all you guys that are listeners, man, for all you guys that are listeners and all the people that come to our courses and all the people that come to our webinars and like, thank you guys for giving us the opportunity to do this and deliver this stuff to you because this is where, uh, this is the, this is the badass part. We just get to go have a good time and, um, and produce some really cool information for people. Oh yeah. Cool. This was and fun. Not take it too seriously, right? Not take it too seriously. I think that's the biggest thing too, is like, once you start taking it too seriously and you're just like, man, this isn't fun anymore. All right. Well now we got to shift our focus and get back to not taking things so seriously and have fun. Agreed. Yep. 
So cool. Yeah, man. Well, this is a good time. Um, Ryan, I'm super stoked for this. And, um, the, the webinars are full of, they're, they're full of information, man. And I can't wait to see what comes next, uh, down the pipe with that. And like, we have a, we have a, we have a pretty, we have a pretty action packed year coming up. So, um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm going to be catching up with Phil in person here. We'll be, we'll be feet dry across the pond by Friday, um, and getting ready to kick off classes in the United Kingdom coming up. So I'm, I'm more, I'm like, so I'm so excited to go, to go make that come to fruition. It's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I'm glad to be here and be able to provide some value. Um, how long was this? How long have we been going? Hour and 40 minutes. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It seem like that when you're having fun, huh? When no, you're, I was just taking it seriously. I felt like it was five hours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was, uh, good conversation. No, it, was, it was good. I, yeah. I feel like yeah. you didn't get much in, and that's probably my fault. No, I mean the the podcast. This podcast was was dedicated to like scope carbine. That's why okay. you're the subject matter. I'm just here soaking it in and putting my two cents in as I can. So when I asked you what it's about, and you're just like, "We're gonna talk," I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so, yeah. I was blindsided. Now I want you to tell me what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, by the way, if I if I told you that we were going to talk about scope carbon, you probably would have overanalyzed it. Oh, one hundred percent. Written some notes down and yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I don't want people being like, "Oh, that guy doesn't know shit about fuck." And I was like, "Oh man, I'm sorry, I wasn't prepared." Yeah, you know, no, no, we don't we don't have to do it that way anymore, Ryan. We do it our way. Defy the norm. <laughs> yeah thanks cody uh right on man well thank you guys i think it's probably a good pretty good spot to wrap it up um sure. i'm gonna go i think i'm gonna go to the range i'm gonna go to the range and do some training trying to keep everything nice and sharp get ready to go to the uk so uh i will catch you guys later yes sir right, man I'll thanks for you. everyone that's uh tuning in thanks for listening uh we're almost at a million downloads we're just north of eight hundred thousand. not sure if you knew wow. that but uh yeah looking Heck forward yeah. looking forward to uh next time we're we're on the mic together so i really appreciate you guys now happy sunday <laughs> and we'll see you guys next time see you guys all right man take it easy